Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander on a holiday weekend, 4th of July coming up. Bill, how are you doing today? Jason, I'm good. I hope you are as well. Uh, it, 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 it's wonderful. I mean, here here we are, and, and uh, the 4th of July actually is on a Monday. Uh, so it's a real holiday. And, uh, of course, uh, 4th of July for most of us is always a, uh, a, a wonderful get-out-and-do-have-fun uh, in fact, when uh, when you don't see it that much anymore, but um, when I was little, uh, I'm you know I'm from a textile town of Kannapolis, which was the home of Cannon Mills. Uh, when we actually had textile mills in North Carolina, I guess we may have a few specialty mills still, but for the most part, the biggies are gone, uh, as we all know. But you know, back then. Uh, you know, most of the folks uh, in town uh, worked for the mill. Not everybody, but you know, the great majority of people. Uh, or, or you had business businesses that supported the people who you know worked in the mill, that sort of thing. But the bottom line is, Fourth of July, the mill would close. I mean, the town would shut down, and uh, it would. If you stayed around, it was a ghost town. Because everybody went to the beach or the mountains. I mean, so it, it, it was just uh, um, the whole town closed down. And, of course, that was true for almost all of the mill towns in North Carolina. The mills would just close down and everybody, everybody was on vacation for that week. I mean, that's that's what you call the, the good old days, if you will, because <laughs> it's certainly... Not that way, but you know it's fun to get the, out the red, white, and blue, and and celebrate being an American. Um, and if you get right down to it, you know, you know what is uh, Independence Day, but the celebration of the fact that that we um, carved out a new country uh from the rule of a despot a king the king of england so we're not british subjects uh and, and you know the fact is is that america was an experiment uh unlike anything that had ever been before and uh, and clearly it wasn't a perfect uh experiment i mean the fact is is that over time uh things have changed a great deal mostly for the better um of course right now there are a lot of folks that would question that some people think it's the best thing since sliced bread and other folks think it's the worst thing that's ever happened in terms of our country regressing as it relates to to the supreme court decisions that came down this past week but the fact is, is that the, the the big thing about America was this was an experiment in democracy where you didn't have one man rule, you had laws. And this country was founded on uh, the fact that uh, we would abide by the rule of law. And the rule of law had to be passed by a legislature that was elected by the people 
And then uh, you had an executive, the president, who was responsible for carrying out those laws, not ignoring them, not not uh, uh, doing what they wanted, or, you know. But bottom line is carrying out the laws that were passed. And of course, the Supreme Court was there to interpret where the laws were not clear. And of course, uh, uh, it's three separate. Uh, uh, um, uh, distinct uh, levels of government in terms of the branches, and and they all have to work for the country to work the way it's supposed to. But you know the thing about it is, is when we look back, uh, this this country, even though it was it it's the greatest country on earth, and it has been for many many years. It, it, it may have taken World War II for the world to wake up to see what, how great this country was and is. But the fact is, is that this country has grown in very, very positive ways. You know, I've talked about it before, but one of the things that, that interests me as a historian is the fact that uh, one of the most precious things in this country uh, for us as Americans is the right to vote. Now, the fact is, is that there are an awful lot of us, a lot of Americans who don't exercise that right, and that's a real shame because everybody should. But when this country was founded, only a very, very small percentage of people who lived in this country could, in fact, vote. And it just goes to show how what positive steps have occurred since the founding of this country. Because as I said in the past, initially only about 4% of the folks who lived in this country could vote. I mean, it's, you know, women could not vote, and that was half the people. <laughs> uh, you know, blacks could not vote uh, uh, at, at that time. Uh, you had to be at least 21 to vote, and the average age uh, uh, for people to live back then was less than 50. So the fact that you had to be 21 uh, obviously cut down on an awful lot of folks being uh, able to vote, and you had to own land to vote. And, and, and so obviously there were an awful lot of folks that didn't own land. So uh, obviously initially the right to vote was you know, just a few few people, really. But it's obviously over the years expanded in, in the way that it should have to where the right to vote should be afforded all of us. And, uh, of course, I think you still, still have to be 18. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, the life expectancy is now in late 80s for most people. So, you know, that's not quite... The, the percentages are a little bit better as far as that goes. But... You know, for those folks who uh, um, feel like this country is going in the wrong direction, there, you know, we still are a, a country rule of law, and it's it's just like the folks who are celebrating right now. Fact is, how did how did we get to this point? It was politics. It was voting for the folks who would support your interests. So. If you're unhappy with decisions that have been made recently, get out and vote. I mean, that's really what it's all about. If you're happy, then keep voting. I mean, that's, you know, 
Uh, the one thing that I, I totally believe in is the rule of the majority. And, and uh, e even though we don't like the decisions all the time, uh, you know, this country laws should be made by a majority vote. And, you know, that's just the way it is. But anyway, we have a lot to celebrate. So uh, actually there was one thing that, you know, all over this state, we will have parades and celebrations, and I hope that people get out there. And I want to mention one, and it was. Uh, uh, and if you're in the mountains, anywhere near Asheville this weekend, pay attention because one of the most fun Fourth of Julys that you could ever enjoy is located in Montreat, North Carolina. And Montreat is just uh, outside of Black Mountain, which is about 15 miles this side of Asheville. Uh, but Montreat uh, will host um, an all-day event for the 4th of July. It starts in the morning with an old-fashioned parade. And if you want to go, you better get there early to get a place. But they'll have a flag raising and the Star Spangled Banner at 10 o'clock, and the parade will start uh, at 10.30, and there'll be fire engines, and there'll be uh, bagpipes and, all, and lots of kids in the parade, and it's just downright fun. And then in the afternoon, there will be games all afternoon, and that evening will be one of the most fun events that anybody, it doesn't matter whether you're 100 years old or two years old, you come to Montreat Square Dance at seven o'clock and it'll last till 9.30 and they'll have a, a, a wonderful square dance that's just fun for everybody. And the, there'll probably be a lot of Montreaters say, don't tell people, don't tell people, don't, you know, we, we, we don't want this secret out. But the fact is, there'll probably be about 1,500 or 2,000 people at Square Dance, but it's, it's uh, outside, and it's just the most fun that, that anyone could ever enjoy. Uh, but Montreat is a special place. It's cool. It's, it's, uh, and, if, and if you don't want to partake, you can walk up the mountain if you want. I mean, there's lots of trails and, uh, for hikers and bikers and the whole bit, but uh, it, it uh, is one of the most special days anywhere in North Carolina. So I would certainly encourage folks who aren't going to the beach, uh, if they're going to the mountains, uh, Montreat is a destination on Monday because uh, that's when the 4th of July will truly be celebrated in an old-fashioned American way. That sounds like one heck of a celebration there. So thanks for that tip, Bill. And I'm sure a lot of people in Mont Montreat are saying, I can't believe he told him the secret's out. But that's okay. That's okay. We're, we're doing our duty here. Uh, don't forget, if you want to learn more about Bill, maybe schedule an appointment with him. You can do that by going to WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. If you'd like to schedule an appointment with Bill, or if you want to learn more about Bill's free webinars, these uh, happen the second Wednesday of every month. The next set is happening on Wednesday, July 13th. If you would like to learn more about long-term care assistance that may be available to you, learn more about Medicaid and veterans benefits, this is a wonderful free opportunity for you. Or if you want to learn more about asset protection and trust planning, again, you can do that for free by going to WGALaw.com and clicking on the Seminars button 
at the top of the page. Now these are currently in the form of webinars, so you can enjoy them from the comfort of your own home, but you can learn everything that you need to know at WGALaw.com. Click on that Seminars button at the top of the page, or you can call the office. The phone number is 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Don't forget, learn more about Bill by going to WGALaw.com, WGALaw.com. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we had a wonderful discussion about the 4th of July at the top of the show, but we need to get into some asset protection here. Yeah, I know. I got so excited about the 4th of July that I, (laughs) I need to start talking about some asset protection. But... Here's the thing. With asset protection, um, there are things you need to know what to do. But just as importantly, you need to know what not to do. And so let me tell you let me tell you a little bit about what not to do. Uh, I had a young lady of 81. Now, I have to tell you, they did this before they contacted me. Uh, and so um, my job was to get them out of their hot water that they created. But the bottom line is a young lady of 81 uh, with a daughter that she, she very close to her daughter. She wanted her daughter to inherit everything she had. And because of her age, um, uh, she was concerned about the potential for losing her house, particularly if she went into a nursing home in her later life. And so in essence, um, she and her daughter decided to transfer the house to her daughter and her daughter in transferring the house would pay off the, the uh, relatively small mortgage that mom still had on the house. And so um, mom uh, transferred the home to the daughter and the daughter paid off a $47,000 uh, mortgage, what was left to pay on it. So there was some consideration, the payment of the mortgage. Um, but first of all, uh, you need to know that mom was a young 81, still lucid, still living independently, still driving, still feeling good, just started to worry. Okay, I get that. All right, so now her home was... Uh, Clearly, tax value was worth right at $200,000, all right? Daughter paid, in essence, consideration of $47,000. So some people would think, oh, that's a sale, okay? And the truth is, partially it is. But it's also partially a gift. So in essence, uh, to the degree that there was a Medicaid application in the future, um, then this transfer would have been problematic. Now, the Department of Social Services, when they look at a Medicaid application and there's a land transfer or a home, 
um, they look at the tax value, not the fair market value of a home. The tax value, even though it's not necessarily accurate, is reliable. They have a number they can work with, and that's what they always use. So in this case, there would have been a gift of $153,000, the difference between the tax value of two hundred dollars and the payment of $47,000. So in the event, now there's a five-year Medicaid look back. Most people know that. So that means if you apply for Medicaid within five years of the transfer or gift, any gift, but the house is a big one, obviously, so we had, uh, in this case, we don't have a Medicaid application. So if the Medicaid was the only consideration in this thing, then you could say, okay, I spent $47,000, but, I, you know, uh, as long as we get past the five-year window, in other words, past the five-year look back, then it's a free and clear transaction, don't have to worry about, um, Medicaid estate recovery if mom has to go to nursing care. Well, okay, that's one consideration. Now, if mom had, say, a stroke a year later, uh, and um, so sh they needed to apply for Medicaid within the five-year look back, then we would have this transaction on the books, which would be a sanctioned or penalized transfer. And it would mean that even if mom was otherwise qualified for Medicaid, uh, they wouldn't give it to her for a couple years because of this transfer. Uh, so uh, that, quite frankly, in other words, now, can you remedy that? Yes, you can do what's called a gift back. The daughter could in essence, transfer back a partial interest in this home to her mom if that was the case. So there's a remedy for people's mistakes most of the time um, if, if you have the authority to do it. And so uh, now there's a different issue here that's even more important. And the, the, the other issue uh, has to do with income tax. Did they make a mistake via income tax? Yes, they made a huge mistake. And I'm going to get that to the second, but let me talk about first about the remedy. What if mom had a stroke? Well, first of all, we recognized when we reviewed her power of attorney, just like almost everybody else who does not have an elder law attorney prepare their power of attorney, had an inadequate power of attorney for the daughter to protect things if she had to remedy it. So <clears throat> with the transaction, uh, she would only be ali ali income free if Mom did not need Medicaid within five years of the transaction. But if it happened within the five years, without the right power of attorney where she could cure things, she would have been a mess. So I, I recommended uh, an advanced general durable power of attorney to be changed. Uh, then, secondarily, it's like, well, should we have done the transfer in the first place? No. Why? because of taxes. 
okay, look at it this way. What if mom did not need nursing care, so Medicaid was never an issue? And she needed to, let's say she needed assisted living. She, her daughter couldn't take care of her, so she had to go to a facility. And she needed the proceeds from the sale of her home to pay for that care. Well, if daughter sold the house in daughter's name, the daughter would have to pay capital gains tax on the difference between the value of the home and her consideration, which was 47000 Now, the fair market value of the home was about 250000 So if the home was sold, there would have been a, approximately 200000 of capital gain. That there's no exemption for the daughter. The daughter doesn't live in the house. So, guess what? Twenty percent of two hundred thousand dollars. See, forty thousand dollars. So you have federal tax and state tax. So you'd have between forty and fifty thousand dollars of income tax because of this dumb transfer. Okay. So that's if the house needed to be sold. Now. Um, what if mom never needed anything but simply died and the house was still in daughter's name and daughter wanted to sell the house at mom's death? Well, daughter already owns the house. There's no income step up in tax basis. So guess what? When the daughter sells the, sells the house in her name, she has to pay that same capital gains tax somewhere between forty and fifty thousand dollars that she would not have had to pay otherwise. And so, yes, I am recommending that they not only sign a power of attorney, a good one, an advanced power of attorney, but they also transfer the house back to mom. And then now you're saying, well, what about Medicaid? Well, the fact is the tax issues are far more important because in North Carolina, if we have the right power of attorney, we can protect the house the day before you apply for Medicaid. You don't have to transfer it five years in advance like so many people think you might have to do. So there are lots of ways to protect the house. So what I'm getting at is if mom needed to sell the house and she lives in the house for two years after owning it, she has what's called a 121 exemption. That's a $250,000 exemption. So if mom sold the house, guess what? No income tax whatsoever. If mom died and daughter inherited the house and then sold it, there's a step up in tax basis. So guess what? No income tax on the sale of the house, or very little, if any. And thirdly, in the event that mom needed Medicaid, you can do it in such a way that the house is protected from Medicaid estate recovery and daughter can sell it after mom dies with no, no income tax to the daughter. So this is one of the biggest mistakes that so many people make because they don't seek counsel before they do it. They go down to the local real estate lawyer and say, prepare me a deed. Well, a real estate lawyer is going to do that for you, and, and you'll never know about the tax consequences or the Medicaid consequences that go with it. 
And those consequences can be extremely expensive. So making sure that you've got the right information on the front end is key. And there's a couple ways that you can get that information. One would be to attend Bill's free webinars. You can go to WGALaw.com to do that. Click on the seminars button at the top of the page if you want to learn more about the Medicaid portion of things and long-term care assistance. Bill has a morning session happening on Wednesday, July 13th. You can register again for free to attend that. It's highly educational. There's no cost to you. It's just a wonderful way for you to learn more from Bill about a very complex and complicated subject. Or if you want to learn more about asset protection and trust planning, Bill has an afternoon session happening on Wednesday, July 13th dedicated to that. Again, it's free to attend. It's free to register. It's highly educational and it's a wonderful opportunity for you to gain some knowledge and hopefully correct uh, some misinformation that you may have heard and uh, put you on a path to avoid making some of these mistakes that we're talking about today. Go to WGALaw.com, click on the seminars button at the top of the page to register or you can call the office 919-256-7000. We're taking a short break, but we'll be back after this. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Go to WGALaw.com to learn more about Bill. If you want to schedule an appointment to speak with him, if you've never uh, received a consultation or had a meeting with an elder law attorney, this is a wonderful time to do it. Go to WGALaw.com, schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, get some documents drawn up for yourself or have documents that you've done in the past reviewed to make sure that they're going to accomplish exactly what you want. WGALaw.com is the place to go. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we uh, kind of broached the subject of income tax uh, in relation to the problems that improper gifting or not, <laughs> not thinking through gifting can cause. But there's uh, another take locally that we want to examine here when it comes to income tax. Well, since, since this is a week uh, or at least a long weekend of celebration, I wanted to uh, give our military retirees uh, something to celebrate. You know, our, our, if you get right down to it, it's our, uh, our armed forces that secured our independence in the very, very beginning. And it's our military that has kept this country what it is uh, uh, throughout our 250 years of history. Uh, and, and so we, we all should thank uh, our veterans and our military retirees. And, and uh, I am very pleased to say, in fact, uh, um, it was uh, Mike Minicus, a, a Raleigh CPA, who shared this with me. I knew a little bit about it, but uh, he gave me the particulars and I appreciated that. But for, the, for those of us, and I'm included in this, so it's like, yay! <laughs> for, the, for those military retirees who uh, retired with 
uh, they're either they were medically retired or they retired with at least 20 years of service. Now, I'll say that most of us would say, oh, you got to have 20 years to retire. But that's actually not true. There are exceptions to the rule. I have a friend who was able to retire uh, with 15 years of service. And so it depends. But uh, almost all of us retired with at least 20 years of service. And for those who were either medically retired, not medically discharged, but medically retired, or retired with 20 years of service, we don't have to pay North Carolina income tax anymore. (laughs) Isn't that great? Um, So bottom line is, when you do your tax preparation, if you're a retiree, military retiree, make sure that when you do your North Carolina taxes that you do not include your military retirement pay um, as part of your income. In other words, you get to take that off. And so now, to the degree that most military retirees have other income, sorry, but you have to pay tax on that. But you don't have to pay income tax on what you receive as your military retirement pay. Isn't that great? I love it. It's a day to celebrate. <laughs> that is something to celebrate indeed. Hey, any uh, tax that we don't have to pay, that's that's wonderful to celebrate. So good news for our military folks there. And uh, something to, as you said, be aware of when tax time rolls around next year. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more. Don't forget, go to WGALaw.com if you want to register for Bill's free webinars happening on Wednesday, July 13th. If you want to learn more about uh, asset protection and trust planning, as well as long-term care assistance, WGALaw.com is where you want to go so that you don't miss out on this wonderful free educational opportunity from Bill. Go to WGALaw.com. Click on that Seminars button to register. And don't forget, happening on Wednesday, July 13th, register at WGALaw.com or call 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Thanks so much for joining us this weekend. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander and had a wonderful conversation so far. We've discussed a lot of topics and Bill, you know, we've always, of course, address asset protection and estate planning and you know, life can be easy when everything goes according to plan, but that that's not always the case. Well, You have to recognize that no matter how smart we are, uh, or less than that, (laughs) um, that no one can foresee the future. I mean, nobody has a crystal ball. Uh, Life throws us curves. I mean, that in the best of circumstances, life throws us curves, and we can't foresee those coming. Now, we can make predictions that um, may 
hold true, are likely to hold true. We make business plans based that way, and we make family plans that way as well. But uh, things change. You know, that's, that is a constant in our world. And because of that, uh, and this sounds like a no-brainer kind of thing, but because of that, the best estate plans are flexible. They have contingencies. They have flex. They have toggles, if you will, so that you can make it this way or that in the future. And and so with estate planning, you're generally uh, now there's <clears throat> we call you know you have your what we call your ancillary documents that are so important to have other people when if you can't make decisions. That's why general durable power of attorney is so important. A healthcare power of attorney is important uh, in terms of what we call life planning. In other words, we're talking about our life where things go wrong and we can't, you know, manage things on our own. So somebody else has to do it. And it's normally our spouse or it's a child or a friend or a sibling, uh, depending on circumstances. But it's important to have those ancillary documents so that you know things can be shifted around for asset protection purposes or family purposes otherwise. So yes, your your advanced general durable power of attorney, which is so important as we get older, uh, the healthcare power of attorney, the advanced directive for natural death called a living will, uh, a medical release is required by federal law to comply with the HIPAA laws. Uh, and a digital release is also important today because everything's digital. How many people get paper statements uh, anymore? You know, uh, it, it's everything's online. So, and, and our security for our usernames and passwords are becoming more and more and more important. Uh, our, our IT guy last week said we, we have to have a password that is at least 12 characters long. And, it, and if, if anything less than that, hackers can, can actually get to without too much trouble. But a 12, you know, as long as you have a pass, what he's calling a passphrase, not a password anymore, where you use symbols and uppercase, lowercase numbers and the whole bit. And you can do that, but you have to keep them secure. And one of the things that's always blown my mind is the fact that on your computer, if you save a password, you know, where you're online and it says, do you want us to save this password for you so you don't have to remember it next time? If you say yes, your computer actually saves it in your settings. And what a lot of folks don't realize, if somebody can get into your computer, they can go right to your settings and see all of your different saved usernames and passwords. And that's not a good thing. So be very careful. And these digital vaults are becoming more and more important and all that. Now, I'm getting off topic. I need to go back to the fact when we're actually doing estate planning, we're doing family planning. Who, who's going to be in charge when we're gone? Uh, so it's not just about during our lifetime, but it's upon our death. How are we going to structure our estate for our spouse, our children, and our grandchildren? Well, today, so many institutions, and I'm, I'm really calling out the banks and the investment houses, what they're doing is they're encouraging you 
to have a beneficiary designation. For the banks, it's called a POD, pay on death. For the investment uh, brokerages, it's a TOD, transfer on death. But it's the same thing. It's a form for you to do a beneficiary designation. And they will say, oh, well, this will avoid probate. And isn't that wonderful? The fact is that it does avoid probate. There are lots of different ways to avoid probate without doing this, but most people use these beneficiary designations the wrong way because they don't understand exactly how they work. The problem with beneficiary designations is that unless your beneficiary is a trust, there's no contingencies. If it just says, I leave, you know, it equally to my kids, it, it, uh, obviously that means it's outright, unprotected. Uh, it, it also means what if a child is disabled at that time? What if, I mean, there's so many what ifs. A child could be a spendthrift. A child or grandchild could be addicted to drugs or alcohol or gambling or other addictions. Uh, or they could just be spenders that they can't save money if it, it, it's uh, what we call it burns a hole in their pocket. They got to spend it if they have it. And if you leave them an inheritance, it's going to be gone within a year or two. So it's the kind of thing where is that good planning not to have a plan for those or contingencies. It's like we hope our grandchildren uh, or our children don't go through a divorce. We hope hope and pray that they don't have an addiction to alcohol or drugs. Uh, we hope and pray they're not disabled uh, and have limitations. Uh, we, we, you know, obviously we want the best for our families. Uh, but the fact is, is that when things don't go right, um, the, then the fact is our plans should have contingencies and toggles to do that. And yes, you can have a trust and a will, and sometimes that even works better, uh, and we can have trust-based planning. And that's why I do so much trust-based planning is so that we can have the contingencies so that if we if it's not a good idea for your uh, legacy to go to your children or grandchildren outright, and there's some tax considerations for that for them in the future, there are generation skipping possibilities that you are um, uh, losing with that, and there's some huge asset protection issues. Uh, if your children end up uh, being sued uh, in divorce or a car wreck or a hundred different other things. So there are just a lot of different possibilities where good planning can actually make a difference uh, with that. Uh, I can give you a, a real quick, and this is a, fa uh, a fairly simple uh, one. Uh, do we have time to do that? Okay, so I uh, had a lady. Uh, who is now totally incompetent, and she can't change her will at this point. But what she did, she was trying to take care of her disabled daughter. So, uh, And her will could have been a whole lot better than it is. It didn't have contingencies in it. But what she did 
was she left her home to her disabled daughter and everything else, which was considerable, to her other three daughters. Now, the thing about it is, was she didn't have any contingency for her disabled daughter if the home needed to be sold during her lifetime. Well, guess what's happening right now? The fact is, is that this home is next to a larger track and a developer wants it and is willing, if, if they can sell it now, the developer is willing to give them twice as much as what it would be worth otherwise. So, duh, good time to sell. All right. But guess what? The will, I mean, the, the, the power of attorney for one of the daughters says, yes, you have the ability to sell my real estate. But if she sold this property, guess what? The disabled daughter would get nothing because, in essence, other than the house that needs to be sold to go to the disabled daughter, didn't say anything about if the house needed to be sold during mom's lifetime. You know, which it should have, but it didn't. And so what would happen is if this house would sell, the trust that mom had in her will for her disabled daughter, because she didn't leave the daughter anything else other than the house, if the house is sold now, it would what's called, this is a big fancy word, a deem. In other words, the disabled daughter would get nothing. It would all go to the, the uh, her sisters. Not a good result. So what we did to remedy the issue, and unfortunately it was, it's an expensive remedy, we had to petition the court for approval so that we could create a trust that the court would approve and then approve a gift that the power of attorney didn't allow into the trust. And the court can do that. So the bottom line is that was the remedy but the fact is, is if mom had had a really good will with contingency planning in it, we would not have had to do any of that. And so it's the kind of thing where you got to recognize that circumstances change. And in this case, it was the fact that the house became far more valuable if it was sold now rather than uh, at mom's death. So... You know, those are the kind of things that really need to be thought out with good contingency planning. Uh, and while there was a resolution that was is uh, works for everybody, it was an expensive resolution that would have been unnecessary if the original estate planning had been adequate. If you don't have your documents in order, that's a good reason why you should have some assembled for you. Or if you do have documents and you haven't had them reviewed by an elder law attorney, this is another great example of how, you know, not enough planning can be an issue. So if you would like to schedule an appointment with Bill, maybe have your documents reviewed, or if you don't have any documents and you want to have them started, you can schedule an appointment to speak with Bill by going to WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com is the website to go to. That's also where you can find information about Bill's free webinars if you want to learn more about asset protection and trust planning or long-term care assistance, be sure to go to wgalaw.com and click on the seminars button at the top of the page. 
A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Go to WGALaw.com to register for Bill's free webinars happening on Wednesday, July 13th. If you want to learn more about long-term care assistance, Medicaid, VA benefits, this is a wonderful free opportunity for you. Sign up for Bill's free webinars by going to WGALaw.com and clicking on the Seminars button at the top of the page. You can also call the office. That phone number is 919 919- Two five six seven thousand nine one nine two five six seven thousand. We're out of time for today. On behalf of Bill Alexander, I'm Jason Kong, wishing you a very happy holiday weekend. Enjoy the Fourth of July, and we'll see you next weekend. You've been listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a wonderful weekend. Mm-hmm.